Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential. It's your weekly look at all things royal brought to you from Mail HQ in Kensington. We are just a stone's throw from the palace, if you don't mind, so we know everything. I'm Joe Elvin and let's kick off the show with the latest royal news. And for that, we turn, as always, to the Daily Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, who, by magic, will be joining us via Skype. Rebecca, hello. Hi, Joe. Hello. Now we're going to start. Guess what? We're going to start with Harry and Meghan. And I believe you know everything about their taking their first work trip since they moved to California. They are. They're uh, attending a global citizen live event in New York on Saturday, which is all about a more equitable uh, distribution of the COVID vaccine, uh, which is something they've obviously campaigned on before. But actually, what really interested me is what happens to is what's happening today. Later on today in New York, they are absolutely having the red carpet rolled out for them by the mayor of New York, Bill Blasio, and the governor, and they've been taken on a kind of whistle-stop sightseeing tour. And it kind of has a bit of the feel of a of an official royal visit which, of course, it isn't because they are ostensibly private citizens now. So I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating. Watch this space, I guess. Do you think that this, as a first sort of working uh, visitation, do you think that will have been really carefully chosen? Oh, definitely. I mean, don't forget a few weeks ago we were discussing on this programme, weren't we, of how it was said they wanted to be a bit more visible uh, over the next few months, although I don't really feel they've been particularly invisible. Um, uh, so obviously this is clearly the start of a, of a very um, heavy work period for them. Um, and obviously there's nothing, you know, nothing particularly controversial in it, as I say, but just very, very fascinating nonetheless. It, it will be. And closer to home, it's been another busy week for sister-in-law Catherine. It has. So she is back at work after her summer holidays and she went up to Cumbria to the Lake District and it was very much Duchess daring. So we saw Kate abseiling, we saw her mountain biking, we saw her boating and there was also a more serious side to it. Um, she met some um, really incredible Holocaust survivors who were actually sent as children to the Lake District as part of their therapy and uh, rehabilitation and some really powerful stories there that she heard. Mm. And I believe that there's been some more royal baby news. There has. The Princess Beatrice has had her baby. It was a little girl, six pounds, two ounces, born at the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, where I was born many moons ago. Um, and um, uh, yeah, mother and baby are doing very well. We don't have a name yet. Um, but I had a little story in the paper this week in which uh, Sources close to the family said that she has been seen by her mother, Sarah, the Duchess of York. And um, apparently there is a little hint of beautiful red and gold hair, apparently. Oh, that is very, very sweet. Now, you also had a quite a big story in the paper, didn't you? Um, an exclusive on Prince Andrew this week. Tell us what's the latest there. Yeah, I did. And it certainly involved me getting out my laptop at 11 o'clock at night and frantically writing a story for the 
the mail the next day. Um, and, and it's a quite significant development, I think. Um, Prince Andrew, we've been told, has finally accepted that papers have been correctly served on him uh, by uh, Virginia Roberts as part of this ongoing civil case. And I think that is a distinct change in tack for Andrew's lawyers. Um, instead of stonewalling him, which is what they've been doing for the last few years, it seems like they are starting to come out and try to get on the front foot again. Mm, fascinating. Let's bring in the panel now. Joining us this week is royal writer Victoria Murphy and the Daily Mail's diary editor, of course, Richard Eden. Welcome to you both. I'm going to start with you, Victoria. What did you make of the choice for Harry and Meghan's first, well, I shouldn't say royal trip, but official working trip? It is, and it's the first time we've seen them in a, in a long time do something in person. And, and I think it's really interesting because you look at this and you can see, I think, how they will feel that they have achieved a lot of what they wanted to achieve. They've left the royal family, but they are making this huge appearance. They've been invited by the mayor of New York. They are headliners at this big global event. You know, it kind of does really cement their relevance, despite the fact that they've stepped back as working royals. But, but I think it's interesting because, as Rebecca said, they don't represent anything else now. They don't represent the monarchy. They don't represent Britain. They're, they're just there as individuals. And I think moving forward now, we are going to see a little bit more of how they hope their new identities will be shaped because we haven't really been able to see that because of the pandemic, because they've obviously taken a little step back since they had their second child. But now I think we're going to see how they want to be seen and are they going to adopt almost kind of repackage the royal model are they going to make all of these appearances some small some big and be very visible and have this kind of engagement program or are they going to be less visible work on long-term projects and make occasional appearances and i think that's what's going to be very interesting now is we're going to see how they hope to shape these roles but do you not think that um Americans in particular will just continue to see them as royals if, if this is the kind of sort of like grand VIP situation that keeps happening. It's interesting because will the public do does every member of the public fully see the distinction in the yeah. way that we obviously we follow the royal family we know that they formally step back they have no formal representation but people you can't you can't separate them from the family they're very much in the family so will people draw that distinction I, th I think that that's an interesting question and of course the royal family you know have made it very clear that they don't officially represent them, they don't officially represent Britain and that, that that's something they'll obviously may have to make make clear in the future as well mm. I think it's, it's a very awkward situation I mean let's be clear well, and they've been very clear in using their titles for this visit as well haven't they mm, I mean so, this yeah. is a is the first um, visible example of them doing what I've always said they would do and trying to establish a rival royal family you know they are the royals across the water and they're embarking on this royal style engagement to to demonstrate that mm. i mean what confuses me is you know why are they wanted there really i mean it, it's an event i think about um publicizing you know fair distribution of vaccines and that sort well, of thing well it seems to have been a cause that they want to promote and align with mm. we saw it? them at the um the vax event the sort of concert with the rock stars yeah. before um, so it's yeah something they've got involved in. So what do you make of, we were talking last week, weren't we, about Kate visiting, um, returning Afghanistan troops and speculating that maybe that's something that Harry is looking at, sort of almost enviously wishing he mm. could still do that sort of thing. Do you think that he's, that's still the case or do you think this is just more what he's into now? No, I think we will see. I'm sure he'll be looking for more opportunities where he can undertake similar engagements to the one the Duchess of Cambridge did. 
Um, obviously, still very much involved in Invictus for injured mm. ex-servicemen. So that's something that you might see. He'll do other events of this kind. And, you know, this era of visibility that we've seen, I think it will be it will be rival royal engagements, mm. if you like. And it's going to be very interesting to watch. But there'll be some very nervous, I think, courtiers at the palace here about how things are going to um, roll out. I've still, uh, I've, the period of invisibility seemed to pass me by for one, but I, I don't know about you, but let, let's talk about Kate for a minute. Victoria, it seems like she's going for the crown this year as the hardest working royal. I mean, maybe. I mean, let's not forget they all did have a big sort of step back over the summer, didn't they? And I think we're going to continue to see William and Kate very much they are busy and their roles have definitely grown in the last couple of years, but they do still focus on their family. You know, we do see at half terms and holidays and stuff, they do want to have that time together. Um, I, I think Kate, in coming out and doing the engagements that she's done at the start of this term, she's, she has, you can see that now she is taking on significant responsibilities and that she's doing solo engagements and solo engagements that are very important. You know, she's representing the Queen, meeting people who carried out the evacuation in Afghanistan. And I was there and I spoke to some of the people afterwards and you very much got the sense from them that this was a very formal representation from her on behalf of the Queen and they said you know we serve the Queen we serve the monarchy and it really matters to us that they are here and that's a responsibility that I don't think she would have been given many years ago on her own interestingly I think I was thinking about this the other day about how William and Kate um, have recently seemed to be doing quite a lot of separate engagements um, yeah. and I do wonder if that is perhaps just because they can cover more ground you know that we are there are not as many working rules since Harry and Meghan left and they can get through a lot more if they're doing separate engagements but also I think probably reflects the fact that they she in particular has really grown in her position and in her confidence and is very happy to do big engagements on her own now and they have their own causes as well mm. she's definitely sort of like feeling more queenly mm. don't you think yeah I mean we shouldn't yeah. underestimate the importance of her um, engagements you know like my daughter is a um, member of the Air Cadets, and that's what Kate was representing um, this week. I think, and it is brilliant in terms of inspiring young people to get involved. She was, such um, of Cambridge was at a new activity or revamped activity centre in the Lake District, mm. and so it really does give a lift to these groups. I think. Mm. Now mm. let's turn to slightly less popular royals, <laughs> Prince Andrew, Richard. Let, let's have a word on him. Reports suggest this week that he is frustrated with his legal team. Do you buy that or do you think that that's just sort of friends deflecting? Well, I think that he has, um, or sort of sources close to Andrew, have put out a statement saying that, um, in fact, he is happy to stick with his legal team. But I think it's just a reflection of the frustration of the whole process. And, you know, we're going to see more and more of that as this situation um, drags on. I mean, I hope by the time people watch this programme that maybe Prince Andrew will have met his new granddaughter mm. um, and that's at least something that's uh, lifting the family and um, you know bringing some happy news for once for once uh, Victoria you often write for an American audience how do you think this whole Prince Andrew melodrama is being perceived stateside? Well, it's a huge story. Mm. Um, you know, there's more polling in the UK as to what the public think. You know, in the UK, we know that his popularity is very low. The public have an unfavourable opinion, largely. Um, there's not as much polling in the US, but anecdotally, I would say, I think it's probably very similar. I think the thing about the US is that the Epstein story has been a huge story over there for a very long time, totally independently of the allegations against Andrew. And there's been some really 
important reporting, investigative reporting done in Miami, for example, around the Epstein um, story. And so this is a big story for them anyway. And then you combine that with the fact that there's this fascination among many people with our royal family. And you have what is that people are really following this, you know, and that's the problem for the royal family because it's playing out globally. And, you know, Andrew is, you know, he's the, the poster boy for republicanism. I mean, he literally is because Republic have got his, him on billboards. Mm. And, and the monarchy are officially distancing themselves from him. But there's only so much they can do that. You know, they can take away all of the professional credentials. They can stop him appearing publicly, um, formally representing the monarchy. But he's still the Queen's son. Mm. And that is not going to change. And this is very damaging, will continue to be damaging for as long as it goes on. And we're already seeing things like the Platinum Jubilee next year, which would be a wholly celebratory event. People are sort of looking at some aspects of that and saying, will Andrew be there? And that's now entering the conversation Mm. into these moments of big celebration for the royals. Well, Andrew also made an appearance in a fascinating royal film that was out this week called Prince Philip, The Royal Family Remembers. He joined all the senior royals, bar the Queen, in what's thought to be a first for a documentary. The project began as a celebration of what would have been his 100th birthday, but it changed tack after he sadly died. Daily Mail's Robert Hardman co-produced the documentary and interviewed the royals, and earlier this week he told us all about it. You will always make everyone very clear where you stand. I think people find that refreshing, that they know that there's nothing else going on or there's no, there's no games played. He's very upfront, he's very honest, and he's very matter-of-fact. He's fundamentally a problem solver. And I think a lot of that um, stems from his early experience and the problems in his early life. I'm so curious about people. I just asked him about his childhood. It was absolutely riveting. We were quite sort of focused about um, talking about specific aspects of his life because it's such an extraordinary life. Um, uh, so everybody, you know, talks to and about different aspects of his life, but you put it all together, and it's it's uh, it's a wonderful tribute, really. Because don't forget, he he never had a memorial service; he didn't want one. Um, if we think back to that extraordinary funeral, um, which was so him, um, I barely mention his name. Uh, it was just absolutely quintessential Duke of Edinburgh and he certainly didn't want to have a memorial service and and I suppose what we see in this film are a lot of those sort of anecdotes that you might hear at a memorial service um, and I think will be remembered uh, long afterwards I hope they will. He adored barbecuing and he turned that into an interesting art form and if I ever tried to do it he'd, I could never get the fire to light or something ghastly so. Go away! <laughs> Salad is ready. Good. Cooking is something that I love talking to him about. He loves watching cookery programs. Hairy Bikers, I think, is one of his favourites. What comes through loud and clear is the, the extent to which he was really involved in the lives of his children, and, and in a very different way, the grandchildren. I mean, as a father, he was very hands-on. He liked to read them bedtime stories. He was often away. He was away on these long tours. But when he was around, 
Um, he was very much engaged. He liked uh, organizing games. We hear how he, he taught them all various sports, how he sort of set up go-kart tracks and how, you know, reading to them at night and teaching them how to fish. I mean, these, these are things that are all etched in their, in their minds. And then with the grandchildren, it was more a case of just let's have fun and, and often let's have utter chaos. Um, and he, he enjoyed the, he enjoyed the sort of the mayhem. One of the games he used to enjoy playing was uh, when we used to go for family barbecues. Um, instead of a, like a mustard pot, we had a mustard tube, a squeezy mustard tube. Um, and he used to take the lid off and put it in your hands. It gets you to hold it. It gets you to hold it in, in your hands and the lid's off. And I can't remember exactly what he says, but he ends up slamming your hands together. And then he'd squish your hands together to fire the mustard into the ceiling. It goes the ceiling all over, it went it all over the, the ceiling. On the ceiling. He used to get in a lot of trouble from my grandmother for covering most of the places uh, we had lunch and things with mustard on the ceiling. And I actually think the marks are still there. From, yeah, I think yeah. so. You know, he enjoyed those jokes. He enjoyed messing around with the children and, uh, and kind of um, being a grandfather. This is, this is Philip, you know, the man, the father, the grandfather. And what fun he must have been to be around. Uh, remember when we used to cover the servants in mustard? Wasn't that fun? Um, I just want to quickly get the thoughts of Rebecca English now. Rebecca, you're used to seeing the royals like this, but for many watching, it must have been absolutely extraordinary. I, I loved it, I have to say, and I'm not just saying that because my colleague Robert Hardman was so involved in it. Um, and what I really loved was hearing from the people we don't normally hear from. So, you know, for the first time on television, we've got Lady Louise Wessex, who came across as a really kind of, you know, charming young woman. And um, Tim Lawrence, uh, husband of uh, Princess Anne, um, who uh, clearly shares the same kind of sense of humour as Prince Philip. And you can see why they got on so well. Um, one of the things I should say I found a bit more poignant, and I'm more saying this in a personal capacity rather than a kind of professional one, is is I thought Prince Charles's anecdotes were lovely, but they also made me feel a little bit sad, actually, because a lot of what he said seemed to be showing how over the years he'd sought approval at every turn from his father and, and never kind of quite thought he got it, you know, from him. Um, and it just made me feel a little bit kind of sad for him, a little bit wistful. Um, but otherwise, I thought it was uh, was excellent and really insightful and hopefully will give people um, uh, an opportunity to learn a bit more about his life, which has been remarkable, and um, have some kind of very fun and happy memories from family members as well. How do you think the Duke of Edinburgh himself would have felt about it? Oh, God, he would have hated it. <laughs> um, I think, I think, and I mean that in the nicest way, Robert, if you're listening. Um, uh, and as Robert said, when he first approached him to do this, he was like, I don't want to be involved in it at all. But if you want to, if you want to do this, I'm not going to stand in, in your way. He just wasn't a man who liked to blow his own trumpet or, uh, you know, sing his own praises. Um, but obviously uh, his family felt that that uh, needed to be done for him. Do you think that with uh, the Platinum Jubilee happening next year, that we'll start to see more of these moments with the family, more revelations, more little insights? 
I'd really like to hope so. I mean, it's it's that constant battle. It's something I often speak about with the palace. I always say that the stories that our readers, people who read the Daily Mail want to read are not the stories they want us to publish. You know, we want to know about these funny family anecdotes, their private lives, and that's something they like to protect. But hopefully, you know, documentaries like this will show that there is a way of kind of navigating that that quite difficult situation. And I think it, it, it's great publicity for them. You know, it, it makes them feel a bit more real, a bit more human and a bit more approachable. Thanks so much, Rebecca. Uh, let's go to the panel now. Victoria, what did you make of it in particular, that the point that Rebecca was making, that all Charles's amusing <laughs> anecdotes seem to have a tinge of melancholy about I know, them. and I thought <laughs> the same thing. I did. Yeah. I thought it, what was so interesting about it is that you did really get an insight into the relationships. And I thought it was a mixture of kind of very well-trodden territory. You know, you didn't watch it and come away thinking, wow, we all got him completely wrong, didn't we? You know, yeah. a lot of it was very <laughs> familiar. Yeah. Um, but then there were some new bits, new anecdotes, new specific bits of information. I thought what was really interesting is that um, the, the relationship with his grandchildren seemed to be particularly strong. Like, it seemed like he really did invest quite a lot of time in those relationships. And there were some anecdotes about really sweet gestures that he'd made. And he seemed to really they all seem to have a real genuine affection for him. Um, and I think with his children, I thought that I thought the same about Charles. I thought Charles was making clearly wanting to make jokes and wanting to say sort of things in a funny, affectionate way. But yet a lot of the things he said ended with him saying, oh, and then he shouted at me or then rah, rah, so, Subtext, subtext. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, it, so it, gave, it did really give you an insight into those relationships, perhaps a little bit more than maybe even they realised. What did you make I of mean, it, Richard? I think it's a reflection of the fact that people do have different relationships with their children than with their grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah. You know, by that point, they've got more time, they're, they're more experienced and... They can be the genial grandpa, can't they, rather than the sort of, in Charles's case, the strict father trying to bring up a future yeah. king, you know. So it's a very different type of relationship. But I, I love the programme. I thought it was very touching. And also, um, that was real laugh out loud at some point. You know, as a diarist, there were various anecdotes. I thought, oh, I wish I knew that at the time. It yeah. would have made a great story. Yeah. Hilarious one from Prince William about how they'd been in the car at, at Balmoral. And they'd seen some um, young people oh, yes, out I doing the, the yeah. Duke of Edinburgh's award. And Prince Philip yeah. thought, oh, you know, that's my award. I should stop and uh, encourage Give them, them a, a bit. Give them a thrill. So he stopped yeah. and wound down his window, you know, and said, oh, how's it going? And then, I don't know if you've done the Duke of Edinburgh's award, but I did it myself. And, you know, often on day two, you'd be exhausted. You've got blisters on your feet. And the poor boy at the back, he, he shouted out something like, oh, you know, bugger off, Grandpa. And, um, Was it you, Richard? <laughs> and, according to Prince William, so his grandpa then wound up the window again and then turned around and said, oh, the youth of today. <laughs> I thought it's it very good. But, will, yeah. will you be trying that hilarious trick with the mustard with your daughters? <laughs> I thought there was a gaping um, absence, though, at the heart of this programme, which was the Queen. You know, everyone was there paying tribute, but the Queen's not on it. It's obviously, it's a conscious decision that she's made, and she's never given an interview. And I thought, what a contrast. You know, really, she will be our last monarch, essentially, that we don't know much about, that we've never had that interview. You know, with Charles, with William, they've given loads of interviews over the years. Well, it seems like she's pretty determined to keep it yeah. that way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we would never have expected her to appear, would we? It just wouldn't no. have happened. But I thought some of the family members did, they did give some insight into how they saw the relationship, but I thought they were all quite careful, actually, to really stay away from anything that was too revealing about how she might feel about the situation. Well, I mean, as we've seen in recent times, royal interviews, when they happen sporadically, can 
go a little bit awry. Yeah. Do, you know, so do you think that they were very guarded? I think that... Yes, I mean, the royal family do not want to give sort of wide-ranging interviews at all, really. And I think clearly, you know, there's a lot of things they don't want to talk about right now. And I think that they felt very clearly very comfortable with this documentary in this situation, that it was very specifically a tribute and that's what they were there for. And I think that's why they opened up, because they clearly felt quite relaxed that, that the subject matter was territory they were comfortable with. I mean, it very much felt like their tribute. It was produced by the BBC, yes, but, you know, the royal family was promoting it on their social media channels. They provided all this access they provided footage mm. so it did very much feel like it was a tribute that they as a family took ownership and of it, it didn't feel did it Richard like anybody was sort of under duress to think of something nice to say it seemed like genuinely affectionate <laughs> tributes didn't it yeah I thought what was funny they never really no one ever used the word gaff which is probably the word we associate most closely with Prince Philip but there were lots of those um, tributes but they were amusing anecdotes um, rather than sort of saying the wrong thing or whatever yeah. and it was emphasized that he used his humor to break the ice and it was a very effective weapon and I think it is when you're meeting people on a daily basis the members of the public are so nervous, you know, about yeah. that meeting that you need to put them at their ease, don't they? I thought, I thought, I kind of thought this tribute though was really not really about his public persona, really, was it? It was actually just about, about what granddad. he was like mm. behind closed doors. Yeah. yeah, it was very personal. It was very much focused on on him as a family person, and that's why I suppose it was so unique because it was very personal for I him. I mean, you're a royal expert, but did you feel you learnt something that you didn't know before? Uh, I did the specific anecdotes, so little things like that he painted Eugenie um, a painting of flowers as a wedding gift, things that we wouldn't really know unless they chose to put them in the public domain, and the mustard, I didn't know about the mustard. Um, but the overarching narrative I thought was very familiar, and I thought, I thought what was really interesting was that you had, the royal family was sort of like talking heads, so you kind of had, you know, you had Camilla sort of talking about his childhood and kind of saying what must have been very challenging for him was being moved from pillar to post, and it's the, it's the kind of thing we usually hear sort of commentators say <laughs> yeah. but actually this time it was a member of the royal family saying it so it was quite surreal to kind of to watch it in that way oh, how no. long before they're presenting their own edition of palace confidential <laughs> or, you know the hairy bikers <laughs> next next series and well if it makes charles feel any better my dad's a bossy boots with the barbecue as well but that is all we have time for today my thanks to my guests rebecca english victoria murphy richard eden and robert hardman and of course to you for watching we will see you next week bye bye